Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates from General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery, and I want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us as we learn together now what it means to be Free Methodists in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. Welcome back, everybody. It's September 23rd, 2019. I'll give you a little uh, uh, backstage information to the recording of the show. You may wonder where I record this show, you know, where I'm at, uh, you know, how I do it. Um, I'll give you one of those uh, informations today. Normally, I'm, I'm actually recording the intro to the show at the office of my church and or maybe at home, something like that. Uh, but today, I'm, I'm actually sitting in the parking lot of Chick-fil-A. You may notice a slight difference in the audio quality because I don't have my normal microphone with me here today. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, but I'm actually, I've been sitting here um, waiting to do some side work that I do. It's early in the morning, about, uh, now it's probably about, what is it, eight o'clock, but I've been here since about 6.45 uh, doing some DoorDash work, and I do that on the side, running food. So um, this morning I was doing some reading for this upcoming sermon, and then um, now recording this. But uh, normally I don't do this early in the morning, just so happened that I that I decided to do a couple hours this morning and have been really quiet this morning, nothing going on, so I've got a lot of other type of work done. And so, uh, so yeah, so here I am recording this at Chick-fil-A in the parking lot. So at any moment, we may hear my phone go off with a DoorDash, and then you'll know from that that, up, oh, I gotta cut it short and I'm shutting off the show. Uh, but anyways, um, it is September 23rd, and of course, this coming Sunday is Freedom Sunday. With the Set Free Movement, we're gonna dedicate uh, the majority of our episode today to that. But um, before we do that, we wanna take a moment to look at the Free Methodist World Missions Prayer Guide for today. Uh, it says we need to pray for Uruguay, and specifically, it's Andrea Green's birthday. And Mike and Andrea Green are in the process of partnership building to return to Uruguay as extended term missionaries. Please pray for their two young children, Gabriel, who's four years old, and Zoe, who is four months old, during this time of travel and inconsistency of routine. I know uh, having a three-year-old myself, this definitely is something that is can be hard for kids to try to say, okay, now we're going here, and now we're going over there, and, and just that inconsistency of routine can be hard. Um, now, my daughter loves it, but the problem is then when we slow down, she's always saying, now what are we doing? What are we doing today? Oh, we're staying at home. <laughs> well, we want, I wanna go somewhere special. Well, we're not going somewhere special. We're staying at home. So it's the, even that, you know, excitement of routine. Then when you have a slow day, it, it, it can be very complicated for kids to understand. Hey, we're not always going somewhere, um, even though, uh, you know, we've been going places. So whether you're going somewhere, or you're staying at home, it can be hard for kids to adjust. So we want to be praying for that and uh, their work, their upcoming work in Uruguay as extended term missionaries. And um, of course, we want to say happy birthday to Andrea Green as well in the midst of all the other stuff that's going on. Uh, they're going to try to celebrate her birthday today as well. So let's go ahead and pray for them and for Uruguay. Dear God, we just thank you for Mike and Andrea um, and their dedication to this area, um, to their uh, 
um, partnership with Uruguay and the people there. And we pray for their extended term um, that they're hoping to engage in soon. We pray that they could start that um, as soon as, as, as you would want them to. And we pray for especially their kids, um, Gabriel, four years old, and Zoe, um, the, the baby. We just pray that you'll be with them as they're traveling all over the place. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of exciting things that they're going to see, a lot of fun things to do, um, new places to, to see, new foods to try, all those sort of things that are exciting. But it's also hard um, to always be on the go and uh, all the different uh, things that come with that change of routine and all the travel for a family of four like that. So we just pray for them and, and we pray that uh, you will prepare the people in Uruguay for their arrival and um, that, that you begin to open up the hearts and the minds of the people to uh, the work that they'll be bringing to this area. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, there's no real reason for us to, to kind of continue on this introduction. Let's stop here and let's uh, transition into our time now with, um, with uh, Felicia George in working in a set free team in California. You'll hear from her. And the name of the song that you'll hear here in just a moment is uh, Micah 6-8. And uh, as, you'll, as you'll listen, you'll, you'll hear the words of Scripture. And the Scripture of Micah 6-8 is, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And of course, that's when we talk about these human trafficking issues, that's really what we're, we're talking about. Uh, looking for justice, looking for the mercy, looking for walking humbly with God. Um, and so this will transition us into the interview and out at the end of our, our interview as well. The crumbs of old bread Spread the good news Through dreams and stones With the breath of your winds You could raise up the dead But you ask us to go And help us love mercy Well, uh, this coming week is actually Freedom Sunday, and of course, the past few years we have spoken to many different people within the Sephiroth movement. As Kevin Austin has come on twice and talked to us um, about the different teams that are going on in the United States, going on overseas, um, there's all sorts of work happening through what is known as the Sephiroth movement. And today, we want to hear a little bit more about what's happening in California with Felicia George. And Felicia, thanks for coming on and talking to us today. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, um, we were able to meet up, I think, for the first time um, at General Conference. And yeah. um, then just started connecting after that and uh, finding out uh, more about what you're doing. And so I wanted people to hear um, what what you guys are up to out there and, and what you've been involved with. So. Um, let's just start with just tell, telling a little bit about yourself and kind of your personal involvement with um, Set Free Movement, how you became aware of it, um, when you decided to get involved, um, that sort of a thing. Okay, that sounds good. So um, my husband and I have been involved with the Set Free Movement since 2014. 
And what's interesting is prior to that, my husband had actually met Kevin Austin when he was still with Not For Sale back in 2011. And he had gone to a human trafficking symposium, a two-day symposium here in the Bay Area where we live. Kevin was one of the speakers there um, with his affiliation with Not For Sale. And my husband and our associate pastor that went with him got real fired up, came back to our church, wanted to do something, wanted to start a mission, and it really went nowhere. Um, So in hindsight, we just know that that wasn't God's timing. And then fast forward to 2013, my husband and I own a business here in California, and we were at a business conference in Florida, ran into a good friend of mine, and she said, hey, I got to tell you about this organization that a bunch of the women from our business have started. They're doing fundraising, and they're funding different existing human trafficking organizations. And all the hair on my body stood on end. It was just one of those God moments. And I knew that I needed to be involved. And I said, Heidi, wow, really? I said, I heard about human trafficking, but it was years ago. Tell me what they're doing. And she, you know, gave me the the quick rundown, introduced me to the woman, one of the women that founded it later in the evening. And I said, well, I want to, I want to help. What can I do? And at the time we had four very small kids and I thought, okay, (laughs) What more can I add to my plate and not completely lose my mind? But it was a very simple process. It was really just inviting folks into your home, doing a potluck-style dinner, and providing some education, and then really just passing around the hat and saying, you know, if you're feeling called to give, this is the organization that we're supporting this particular month. They just kind of had a running list of organizations that they rotated. And, and that's what I did for about nine months, and it was great, and it gave me an opportunity to really do the research that I needed to do to more thoroughly understand the problem, um, how widespread it is, how local it is, and it was really through all of this research um, from 2000 and, like February of 2013 until about December of 2013 that God just really put on my heart, we need to be educating our children who are potentially victims of what they need to be looking out for. And it was during that time that I figured, okay, I've been homeschooling for quite a number of years at this point in time. I can do education. I can talk to students. I've had practice in that area. I think I really want to get a curriculum that I can go out into the middle schools and the high schools and really just educate our youth um, so that they don't fall prey to this, that they are not victims of this because they will have the tools in their toolbox to identify it for what it is. So I reached out to my husband and I said, hey, this is what I want to do. He goes, you know, who you should talk to Kevin Austin. <laughs> mm. And so that really um, was the start of our involvement with the Set Free Movement. I called Kevin and I said, hey, you met my husband a number of years ago. You don't know me. This is what I'd like to do. He goes, well, we don't have curriculum. He goes, but I could definitely do some research. I said, okay, well, you do some research. I'll do some research and let's see what we come up with. And we came across two different curriculum. One was by a group called Shared Hope International and another by a group called A21, both very established um, anti-trafficking organizations. I purchased both of their curriculum, started going through them, vetting them, uh, practicing them. And it was really the Shared Hope International that was the easier of the two. It was much more plug and play. And so that's what I started with. I started with Shared Hope International's chosen curriculum back in 2014. And I've been using 
their movies uh, ever since then. At this point now, I have developed my own curriculum. It's just a PowerPoint presentation that I think does um, a better job of what my focus is, which is not just sex trafficking, but labor trafficking. And so at this point, um, I've been in schools for, gosh, going on five years. I've spoken to probably 5,000 students uh, from grades 7 through 12. And, um, and so that's where we are right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, as again, there's just so many different, we, we could talk to all the different separate leaders and we're going to hear, um, something different with each one. We're not going to talk to the next one and they say, Oh, well, we're also in the mm -hmm. schools and we're in the schools. So many different aspects and so many different areas that can be involved. Um, so, why why specifically for you did you feel as if you were able to um, go with the school route better than anything else? Why did you feel like this was the most important of all of the different possibilities out there? Um, well, first, it was really, uh, really God's voice. God really spoke that to me. I was, you know, in my in that time from February of 2013 until Christmas of that year and doing all my research. I just kept seeing these children, these children that were being abused these children that were being tricked and having four kids, it really hit home. And I thought, Oh my gosh, if, if a trafficker ever targeted one of my kids and because my kids didn't know what to look out for, they were tricked, they were coerced. Um, I don't know what I would do. And so that was really, that just felt like my calling and coupled with the fact that I had been homeschooling my kids at that point for probably five years. So education, um, teaching a lesson that was familiar to me. And through our homeschool group um, and our homeschool charter program, I was very good friends with our charter's principal. So I had an in, you know, I had that personal connection of someone that I could go to and say, hey, um, you know us, you know our family, you know my kids, this is what I'm doing, will you give me an opportunity to talk to your high school, I started there with the high school, will you give me an opportunity to talk to your high school teachers and see if they will allow me to come into their classroom and speak on this, and it really just snowballed from there, she said yes, um, two of the teachers of the group of five that I spoke to said yes, please come into our class, um, from there, I got referrals to other high schools, and at this point, all the different high schools that I've spoken in have been by word-of-mouth referrals. I've never had to go out and solicit a high school um, on my own, which I think is, is better, really, in, in all things that we do. It's better to have that personal um, recommendation from someone. We're more trusting, more, we're, we're more open, um, but that's why I felt like the schools were really where I needed to be and where God thought I was going to be most effective. Okay, yeah. So you never, in all that time, it sounds like you never had a situation where you're like, I really would like to, you know, go get into this school and, and got turned down. It was always just um, all the, it seems like it was open doors, uh, really, yeah. to be able to do this. Yeah, really, uh, that was a God thing. You know, it's like if you go back to my earlier story about my husband going to the Not For Sale event in 2011 and our church just really wanting nothing to do with that mission, and we knew that God was like, okay, now's not the time. But as soon as God revealed it to me in 2013 and as soon as he laid it on my heart that I needed to educate our youth, every door has been wide open 
every door, everywhere that I've needed to go. Um, if I ask a teacher, hey, if you know of any other teachers that you think could benefit this from this uh, presentation in their classroom for their students, let me know. And it's been recommendation after recommendation. So it just was really just blessed, blessed wow. from the beginning. Yeah, that's great. So now let's talk, let's talk a little bit about like um, some of the things that you would be um, addressing with them and things that we can learn about too, those of us who are listening here. Um, when we're talking about minors specifically being at risk for human trafficking, um, who are we talking at uh, is, is at risk? Because I think most people just think, okay, well, it's going to be somebody who's, you know, maybe poor or, you know, from another country. Um, they don't necessarily think right away uh, our, our country, and they don't, when they do, they, they're not sure exactly, okay, what kind of minors are at risk in, in our country? You know, is, is it our next door? Is it our own children? Who, who is at risk for this? And what kind of dangers are they facing? Right. Good question. Yeah, that is oftentimes the first um, kind of uh, conce- uh, idea that people have in their mind is like, oh, yeah, that must be people that are being brought into our country. And that's not actually true. Um, they estimate different organizations that run statistics and keep track of phone calls that come into the National Human Trafficking Hotline and whatnot. They estimate that in America every year there is an appro- approximately 300,000 American kids that are at risk. Hmm. And where do they come from? Well, honestly, they come from all walks of life. Yes, there are certain groups that are more at risk, such as our foster care system. You know, the foster care system that we have in this country is very broken. There are a lot of things that need to be addressed in order to fix that, in order to protect um, those kids that are really, really vulnerable. And that that word vulnerable is actually a word that I use in all of my presentations because that is what traffickers will prey on. They prey on the vulnerabilities that anyone has in their life. So when we're talking about our youth, not only could they have vulnerabilities because perhaps they're in a foster care system where their family is homeless or they're very poor, um, but it could also be that youth that is being bullied at school and chooses to go to social media with uh, their problems. And unfortunately, traffickers are using the internet and social media as their number one recruiting tool these days. Um, they're creating fake accounts and they are on Snapchat and they are on Instagram and they're on, you know, all these other sites and they're not these big, scary folks either. You know, don't, don't think, oh, well, if my kids saw a picture, they would know. No, no, no. That's not what's going to happen. These traffickers are using what's called catfishing accounts. So they're creating these fake accounts so that they can go out and they can quote unquote friend or follow our children and they're going to target those kids that are either complaining about things going on in their life. They're going to come across as maybe a peer or a slightly older person and they're going to be understanding and they're going to want to create a friendship with this person. Uh, They're going to be that thing that's missing in their life. That is their vulnerability is that they don't feel like they've got someone that they can go to. Um, Maybe it's that young lady who maybe feels a little insecure. And in doing that, she's posting selfies of herself in, you know, maybe uh, sexual situations or provocative situations. And I'll tell you what, if, if their accounts are public accounts, which means they're not private, anybody can see what they're posting. 
And that's one of the things that I really just kind of hammer and hone into the students I talk to. Accounts, social media accounts have got to be private. They absolutely have to be because you're leaving yourself susceptible and wide open to anyone, whether they have bad intentions or not, but anyone seeing what you're posting, seeing what you're sharing, and using it however they please, right? So if you've got, and I, I always like to tell the students this, I said, look, you guys, I know everybody wants, they, they want to share everything. That's the society, that's the world we live in. I understand that, and that's, that's fine. We just have to understand that social media is a tool like any other tool, and if we don't follow the rules of that tool and use that tool correctly, it can hurt us. Like if I gave you a saw today and said, go cut down that tree, if you had no idea what you were doing, you could hurt yourself. The same is true with social media. Yeah. So follow the rules. And the rules are don't post things you don't want someone else to see or you don't want to be able to take back and make sure your accounts are private. Um, and then I go into a variety of you know examples on how screenshots can be taken and those can be altered uh, using different forms of software manipulation tools and there's just you know we live in a world where that whole kind of cliche phrase fake news it's a mm -hmm. real thing a yeah. lot of that stuff that we're seeing out there and that our youth are seeing out there is not real um so as far as back to your question who's vulnerable it's really anyone and that's one of the biggest reasons why i thought you know we've got to make sure our kids our youth know the tactics that traffickers are using know where they're located either in real life or on their devices, um, and how to make sure that they're staying in, in good conversations and good relationships with their peers. That's the other thing I feel like the internet and social media has done is it's really created this gap in us staying on top of what's really, really going on with our friends, not what they're posting, but what is really going on with our friends behind the scenes that maybe they're not telling anyone about, but that is going to create a vulnerability in their life that a trafficker could identify and exploit. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've been uh, recently reading a book called In Our Backyard, and uh, it's about human trafficking specifically in America of all different forms. And um, one of the things that I pointed out, in addition to you know Instagram, Snapchat, um, multiple stories of, of people who were approached on um, PlayStation Network, on you know, yes. Xbox, a lot of these multiplayer games where, again, um, it, it even said, you know, they may allow you to win. So then, oh, I beat you. You know, you're, you're having a good time. And it's not as if, um, you know, someone's going to approach you and say, hey, do you want to make some extra money going out and being a prostitute? No, no one's going to come and say that. And then, oh, sure, you know, your kids are just going to jump on board. Um, yeah. it's going to be like you were, you were saying, it's going to start with just more of a friend or even a, you know, significant other type relationship. Um, that person that understands you more than your parents or understands you more than, you know, anybody out there. Um, and so, well, tell us a little bit about, so then after that initial contact, I mean, every situation is a little different, but, but what's that process like? So they reach out, okay, now they've got your confidence um how does it move from that to getting you to do these these types of things right so that can take different forms that phase from when your trafficker first meets you to you becoming a victim is called a grooming phase and that's um sometimes a couple of weeks sometimes a few months um i've read stories about 
uh, traffickers being online through Instagram with their victims for six months before they finally convince them to meet in person. Um, but yeah, it really depends on the person, the victim, um, because we don't know what's going on in their life and how susceptible they are to uh, doing what someone asks them to do. How needy are they? You know, how how um, vacant in their life is that feeling that someone loves them and someone's taking care of them. So that can be very different from case to case. But what oftentimes happens is, especially on social media, they won't actually, the traffickers won't actually request to meet face to face initially. What they're going to do after they felt like that grooming phase has gone on long enough and they've built up this trust and this relationship, maybe they've shared um, some sort of, um, emotional feelings with this other person they've told them hey you're so beautiful you're wonderful um i could see you being my girlfriend we would have such a great life together and then you know one thing leads to another because that's a more romantic relationship and then they start asking them for naked pictures can you send me some naked pictures can you send me some videos of you doing things um, of a sexual nature and that's the first step because once that person is willing to do that they're going to be much more willing to go out and meet this person in real life. But even if all they've ever done is share a um, sexual image or, or sexual uh, video, some sort of provocative video, if that victim is under the age of 18 and the other person takes it and sells it for their financial benefit, the trafficker does, our young person is now automatically under the law a victim of sex trafficking. Now, if we go a little further and we've got someone who spent the time, they've gotten to know them, um, maybe let's, let's do a situation where maybe it's in person, right? So maybe you're a young person and you're at the mall and you're approached by an older person. Um, I'm going to stick with statistics, not to be stereotypical, but simply because the statistics support this. But let's say you're a young high school girl, and you're at the mall, or you're at Starbucks, and you're approached by a 20-something man who's good-looking, he's charming, he's um, showering compliments on you. Eventually, that turns into a dating situation, and... You know, you feel like, wow, this guy is older, he's so charming, he's more sophisticated, and he likes me, maybe he said he loves me, I could really see this turning into something. Well, at some point, once a trafficker feels like he's really got that person kind of in his grips, he is going to ask for a quote-unquote favor. Gosh, babe, I really hate to do this to you. I have a favor to ask. I'm not going to be able to make my car payment this month, and I don't get a paycheck for two weeks. Um, Is there any way you could do this for me? I promise I won't ever ask you again. This would mean so much to me. It would really show how much you love me, right? So they're going to play all these. They're going to spin all these tactics on this person. They're going to play the emotion card, the love card, the I'll never ask you to do it again card. And then they're going to set up a, a rendezvous with someone at a motel room or out of their house. And this poor young lady is going to think, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose this guy. And I'm not willing to lose this guy. You know, what's one time? What's 30 minutes in in his room? And they justify it. And it's really sad um, but they've created a bond with this person. And it's amazing what that bond does on the psyche, on the thought process of a young person.
There's a reason traffickers target our young people. They are more physically weak and they are more mentally weak, which means they're, they're naive as they should be when they're 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age. They shouldn't be as street savvy as unfortunately some kids have to be because of the lives they live. Um, but that's what they're preying on. They're preying on their physical weaknesses, their emotional naivety. Um, and that's how that grooming phase goes until the next thing you know, this girl is doing something she really doesn't want to do, but she doesn't think she has an option. And a lot of times if they're not willing to do it with a, uh, kind words and flowers and gestures, then it then it becomes much darker. And we see physical abuse, verbal abuse, threats to harm that person's family. Because if they've been dating for a while, the trafficker knows their family. They know where they live. They know information about their private personal life, their home life. And they'll use that to exploit them. Yeah, and I, you had mentioned um, just a few, um, you know, you were saying if they're 11, 12, something like that. I, I think I, I one other thing I read... Um, just to give an example of what age we're talking about, I think I read the average age is 12 to 14 that someone would first be approached or first be, um, you know, the average age that, that kids are, are put into this um, lifestyle. So, you know, we're t definitely talking about not, you know, not that it would, would matter, but we're not talking about, you know, 18 or 17 or 18, um, you know, almost legal kids or something like that, uh, you know, that, that sometimes people, again, would get that idea that, oh, they're going to target older. I mean, these are... Um, these are know, middle schoolers. Yeah. yeah. And, and 12, even, not even a teenager at that point, you know, yeah. so, so we're not even talking about teenagers even uh, necessarily, so... Um, and, boy, and boys are often targeted at even a younger age. The average age for boys is actually 11 to 13, and it goes back to what I just said about that physical, um, more physically weak, not developed yet, hasn't gone through puberty, hasn't put on the, the muscles that they will as a teenager. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so when people hear this kind of stuff, you know, they, they many people want to get involved. And, and one of the nice things um, about being in the church um, as far as um, communicating about this issue and you know fighting modern day slavery is that whether someone is in the church or a Christian or not a Christian, pretty much everybody agrees upon this issue. They're pretty much everybody besides of course the traffickers, those who are profiting off it, are against this. So people in the communities are willing to uh, join against this in different ways. Um, as, as you have seen in the, in the schools, people are not saying, well, are you a Christian and you can't come in here and talk about that? You know, um, it's yeah, not that yeah. kind of an issue. And, um, so there's all sorts of people listening. Um, and I know one thing that we kind of come back to over time, um, on the show is, is talking about or, or speaking to some older listeners who sometimes hear some things that are going on in the world. They say, oh, well, you know, that's, that's uh, great stuff that, that they're doing, but, I can't do anything, you know, I'm I'm just too old to be able to, to do any of that. Um, and what we continue to come back to is not just for an elderly person, but for anyone, the importance of prayer. Um, and that has been minimized a lot in in circles, you know, okay, well, what can we do? We got to stop the, the human trafficking from happening. Let's go out and do it today. Um, but I know from personally from our set free group, um, when a set free group begins, Kevin says, all right, well, the first thing you're going to do is meet together for maybe even up to a year, maybe longer. And you're just going to be praying. You're going to be getting together and praying. And some people say, well, that, what's that doing? You know, <laughs> what are you, you, you going to You need to do, find out what you're going to do and get out and get started. Uh, but, but from your experience in all these years now, what role does prayer have in the process of fighting modern day slavery? 
Yeah, you absolutely have to have prayer and you have to be in prayer before you start down this path, this endeavor, this mission, because um, Satan will attack you once you start uh, making a difference. And, you know, we have to have the full armor of God on and that comes through prayer. We have to know that God has chosen us to be on this path and what does that path look like for each individual group or person right so you know if you're just going to go out because your heart is breaking that's great but if you don't have support from jesus and that it's been made clear to you that he wants you there um it's going to be tough and it's going to be challenging and it's going to be unfortunately like it was for my husband really heartbreaking back in 2011 that nobody wanted to do anything So spending time in prayer is crucial. You know, Kevin Austin, he set it up right. He said, you know, you've got to be in prayer. You've got to be listening um, to what God is speaking to you in those quiet moments. Um, You know, do do a fast with your team. That group of folks that have said, yeah, we really want to do this, but we don't know where to start. Fast and go into prayer. Let God reveal his answers to you. Um, And be open to listening to things that are coming at you. Um, So for me, it was this chance meeting with a friend at a business event. Um, But she said exactly what I needed to hear, and I felt it. I felt that God said, yep, I meant for you to have this conversation, right? So prayer, but also being open to God leading you into conversations with people that may help steer the direction you want to go into. Do you want to do education? Um, well, if, if you keep hitting roadblocks, there's, there's potentially a reason for that, that that's not where God wants you to be. Um, is it going to be on the political field? Are you going to be, you know, lobbying for laws to be changed? Um, and who do you know that's going to help with that? Did God put people in your life and in your circles of influence that will help facilitate that? Um, so starting with prayer is critical because you need to open your, your spirit up, your mind up, your heart up, your ears up to hearing what it is that God wants for you in this endeavor and really being solid in your faith because you will get attacked. Your kids will get attacked. Your family will get attacked. It's amazing. Just in the last 18 months, um, since our group has gone from just Chris and I to a group of 20, it's amazing how my kids have been attacked. Um, our business has been attacked. It's just, you know, Satan doesn't want us doing this work. We're, we're messing with his playground and he doesn't like it. So having a solid faith and getting that through prayer is, is super critical and it's got to be step one. Yeah, and even to just think of the example of Jesus and, you know, we, often, we think, oh, well, I know what to do. I know where I need to start. Uh, and yet even Jesus himself had to constantly be in prayer for all the things that he was doing. And so obviously how much more do we need to be you know, preparing, especially when we're getting into these types of situations and uh, danger in, in all in different ways, spiritual, physical. Yeah. Um, so, what we, we we talked a little bit about um, already, kind of just the that anybody is is a potential um, victim for for being reached out to by a trafficker. Um, but what about 
and location-wise? Are there certain places in in America? Um, are there certain events that are held um, that are higher possibilities for this kind of stuff happening? Um, what are we talking about as far as as far as locations? Yeah. So um, if we talk about incidences of trafficking across the country, California is by far the most prevalent. Um, I think the California statistics are double the next state in line. Um, and if people are interested in that kind of stuff, there's a wonderful website called the Polaris Project that I recommend people go to. It has statistics of all sorts of things, where, demographic, gender, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So California really is the biggest. It makes sense, right, because it's the law of large numbers where you have the most people, you're going to have the most incidences of everything. And that, that's true. We can see that that's true for trafficking as well. A lot mm. of victims um, come from California. The other driving force are large events, the Super Bowl, the World Series, the World Cup. Uh, here where I live, I'm close to Monterey, Carmel, Pacific Grove. So when we have big events like these um, luxury car shows that will come into town, we automatically see a jump um, in the online ads that are posted for quote-unquote escorts and one of the young ladies on our team is a survivor here from Monterey and when she was 19 she was one of those people that was being sold as an escort online um, you know years ago when she was 19 so big events anything that draws in tourists or um, a temporary crowd of people where there's going to be an influx in that uh, community of money because of the nature of the event, you're going to see spikes uh, in trafficking every single time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense that the more the people are gathered together, just like anything else, there's going to be people showing up to to sell merchandise, um, you know, uh, surrounding that event that that are coming from out of state. You know, there's all sorts of people coming in for different reasons. So in the same way, the illegal activities are going to be, you know, heightened there as well. Um, one thing is, as, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about locations just um, a few weeks ago, last month, whenever I uh, was coming and going from a backpacking trip, we flew through Las Vegas, and that was the first time, I, as far as I can remember, that I've been in the in the area, and I didn't get too much time there, um, didn't go down to the strip or anything, but the little bit that I did get to see, just considering um, how, you know, what's illegal most other places, and especially in terms of prostitution, is legal there. Um, and I, I thought about um, the arguments of some. I want to hear, what, what would you say to somebody who had the argument that says, well, if, it was, if prostitution were legal as it is in Las Vegas, you wouldn't have to worry about these, these uh, human people being trafficked uh, because people could make that money legally. They would pick people that wanted to do it. I mean, there, there are those people that would say that sort of a thing to say, well, sure. you know, do, we, let's, let's make it more open. Yeah, the, the, the problem with that theory is that you're assuming with that theory that the prostitutes and uh, sex workers want to be there. Mm -hmm. You're assuming that they want to be there, that they have a choice, that they're doing that of free will, and that they're keeping their money. And in actuality, that is not true. That is actually such a small, small percentage of sex workers that are out there doing that on their own, making the rules for themselves, and keeping their money. What legalizing 
uh, prostitution will do is it will increase the amount of people that are being trafficked because once again, these people that are being trafficked are there through force, fraud, or coercion. They don't want to be there. And if let's say it was legal then they wouldn't have a way to get out of it. They wouldn't have a way to say, no, look, this, this guy, my pimp, he's, he's beating me up. He's, he's drugging me. I don't have a choice here. And they'll say, well, under the law, you know, you're the one in the act. You're the one selling your body. The John is paying you. So there's nothing we can do about that. Now, if you'd like to file battery charges and then you get down this rabbit hole, um, so that's that's the flaw in that sort of thinking. If we just make it legal, in fact, I forget what I was reading, and I don't want to quote anything um, since I don't have the source in front of me, but I do remember reading um, a report from a country that had legal prostitution and had to go back to their politicians and make it illegal because there was such an increase of sexual abuse reports in that country because prostitution had been made legal Hmm. so so in essence what you're doing is you're now creating this larger scope of allowable behaviors well you can't prove you were raped you're a prostitute you you know you put yourself in that environment what do you expect um and so you really take away control and power and recourse to the victims so i i think passing that sort of law is is very naive and very short-sighted. Yeah, and even to think about again some of the things that I that I'm reading about about it, um, you know, people who were say in Michigan and and they got um, it through the through the means that we've already spoken about. You know, um, they they were trafficked, um, and some of them in these stories were brought to Las Vegas. And it almost sounds yeah. like once they're there, it, like you're like you're saying, it's almost impossible because. If you find that person somewhere in one of our communities, well, it's illegal. So, okay, well, the, the cops can come in. But if they can get them to Las Vegas, it almost sounds like impossible to make the argument because they've got the psychological, the, you know, all these different things that is going to make very hard to press any charges because most of the time, even the victims at, at, at first encounter are not going to tell the police, oh, yeah, you know, let help me out of here. Um, they already have that yeah. attachment. Um, in many different ways to that trafficker. So it's, it's yeah, it's it definitely <laughs> doesn't help anything. In fact, it, it makes it much harder um, if we have these areas that do uh, have that, that uh, legality to it. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Well, um, we talked a little bit about this already, but I wanted to ask you um, just a little bit about um, some first steps for listeners to get involved in fighting modern-day slavery. Yeah, so the first thing I would recommend people to do is go go and do your research so that you really have um, a good grasp on the severity of the problem and the scope of the problem. I know that um, here in the United States, we tend to really spend a lot of time talking about sex trafficking, but we also need to understand that labor trafficking globally is actually a much bigger problem. And what that is basically is when someone is forced to work for little or no pay, they are not free to come and go. They are treated very, very badly. Um, 
and it's so that we can, you know, grab a Hershey bar or buy a set of Nikes or whatever it is. So these are the people that are working in our farms, they're working in our warehouses, they're driving the delivery trucks. So do your research, understand the entire scope of the problem. And, um, and, and when you do that, I think it actually will make it easier on a person to say, oh, well, here's where I can step in. Right. So let's let's go back to to my story. When my husband first heard about this in 2011 and we had very young children, um, you know, four kids, 10 and under, he said, hey, we found out about human trafficking. One of the things that's got trafficking in it is the things that we buy. Uh, So here's an app I want you to download on your phone. And when you go grocery shopping, make sure you're scanning all the barcodes and making sure that um, on the app it says it's safe to buy. That was wonderful in theory, but really not practical. I'm not going to go grocery shopping with four kids and be scanning every single barcode. Mm-hmm. Now, that unfortunately, that app is gone because I think that it was just it, because uh, the information was changing so rapidly, mm-hmm. it was really hard to keep it updated. So not for sale who had the app actually got rid of it. But that being said, you can look at the things that you buy regularly on a daily basis and do research on those things so that you know, oh, wow, maybe I won't continue buying Hershey bars when we want to do s'mores outside because Hershey's is a number one contributor to child slave labor in the cocoa fields, right? So what are my alternatives? And look for those. It's so easy. It really, really is so, so easy to find alternatives. Um, Costco, shoot, Costco, their uh, Kirkland signature brand, so it's the items that have that little cursive signature on it, all of that stuff is fair trade. Hmm. And all it took, all it took was a little bit of digging, a little bit of research on my, on my part, because I was like, okay, well, wait a minute, Costco is huge, and why do they have these two different brands? And I happened to notice on one of their coffee bags, their Kirkland signature coffee, it had a symbol that I was used to seeing, which was the Rainforest Alliance symbol. And I thought, no way. What else is fair trade? And so you just do a little bit of research. Um, so that's one way that people can really do something very easily. Do mm-hmm. some, Take the time, do some research on, research on the things that you buy frequently. Or if you're about to make that next you know, new purchase, back to school shopping for the kids. Pay attention to the brands that you're buying. Um, that's one thing you can do. We talked about prayer. Prayer is a super, super easy thing that you can do. Um, a good friend of mine, he's actually the uh, executive director on our nonprofit, Michael Asplund. He has a, a, a saying that I love. Everybody was gifted with time, talent, and treasure. Use those in some capacity for the good of this cause. If you were blessed financially, find a group that is already fighting this and be a monthly donor because they're all nonprofits. They all need money. Um, I'm going to, of course, <laughs> advocate for the set free movement uh, because I think it's a wonderful organization that does amazing things, not just here nationally, but internationally. Um, so I would, I would uh, recommend people, you know, become a monthly donor. And if you, even if you're not affluent, right, I'm not saying giving $300, $500, $1,000 a month, but maybe you can, you know, maybe you can do 25 bucks a month. And that's not really going to put a dent uh, in your lifestyle and your ability to pay your bills. Um, what else? Maybe you are an educator. 
and you're like, you know what, I can do education, or a retired educator who educator who really feels called to get back in the schools and to teach something of value, here's a great way to do it. The Shared Hope International Chosen Presentation, just Google that. It's a very affordable curriculum that you can buy. It's very plug and play, uh, super easy to practice it a few times, and then use those connections that you already have. Kevin does a wonderful job of saying that we really need to be connected to our community and all those circles of influence that are in our community because you never know what a conversation with somebody is going to lead to. And that's a really easy thing that we can do. We can all have conversations. We can share about this in the, in the groups that we, we run in our circles that we are all, you know, whether it's church or sports or whatever, right? Um, so I feel like those are some very kind of simple things that people can do, but it's got to start with research. It's got to start with prayer and then, um, you'll know, you'll know the direction that you need to go. Yeah. It's, it does take, um, some work for anything. I mean, to take uh, to, for example, we're talking about, you know, the fair trade stuff to be able to take the time to look into it, um, you know, these are, but this is this kind of stuff that's worthwhile. Um, even again, what I've been what I've been reading, some of the suggestions and different things of, you know, if you shop at a place and you see there's no option um, that you can tell, you can you can ask the manager, do you have this? Uh, maybe they don't, but if you are willing to ask them, and other people do, um, over time they know that okay, people who shop here are are looking for this specific product. When they in the future Absolutely. make their purchases, they may then start to shift to that. And some people may listen and say, well, you know, I don't know that that's just they may never make a decision based upon me. But I mean, that's we've seen similar things happen with um, in the last several years with like organic stuff. Um, everything's yep. starting to be labeled organic now because people re decided that, oh, that was something that was important and they started to say, oh, I want organic products. All of a sudden they're showing up everywhere. So if people start yep. to do the same thing with fair trade, say, well, that's what I'm interested in buying, all of a sudden they're gonna be showing up everywhere. Um, and so it's a matter of obviously purchasing those things and the supply and demand. So if you're purchasing it, uh, but if it's not available for some reason at a store you're at, um, talking to the manager there or, or maybe you'd write an email to the chain or whatever it is, uh, but just kind of making that known. Um, and those kinds of things do take time out of your day to go and talk to that person or send the email or make that call. Uh, but long term, those things that may seem small to you actually make a big difference um, in terms of the in terms of the of the bigger picture with everybody kind of working together doing the same thing. So yeah, absolutely. You know, I always, I always think about it. Um, you know, you're potentially saving a life. Yeah. So, so what's ten or fifteen minutes on Google? <laughs> right, right. You know, I, I think it's just, it's we have, we have all the information we need literally at our fingertips these days, and what a blessing that is. So we need to use it correctly. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for um, coming and talking to us today about this. And as always, we're gonna continue to keep up to date with set free movement and uh checking in with all sorts of other leaders around the uh around the country and around the world and thanks for what you do thank you so much for having me thanks so much yeah definitely we'll talk to you soon all right josh take care bye-bye
Let love come and touch them with your father's heart.